0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Emily's Book Club. For any new listeners, my name is Emily Burgess, and I'm an 18-year-old high school senior based in upstate New York. When I'm not doing schoolwork or dancing ballet, I love to read books. So this podcast is a wonderful excuse for me to talk about something I love with people I love. New episodes are released every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and each features at least one special guest to talk about a novel or anthology. Today, I am so excited to welcome David Pascone onto the pod to discuss Toni Morrison's Beloved. Since receiving Morrison's The Bluest Eye as a Christmas present, I have been on a huge Toni Morrison kick, and this was only exacerbated by my reading of Beloved in Mr. Pascone's AP English class. Mr. Pascone and I both share a love for Toni Morrison's writing, so I'm beyond enthusiastic to discuss her most famous work with him today. Beloved tells the story of Setha, an escaped slave who murdered her child, Beloved, so that she too may escape slavery. As a result, the house is haunted by Beloved until she arrives at their home in human form to wreak more havoc. Through Setha's interactions with Beloved and other characters of her past, Toni Morrison's demands readers acknowledge the importance of reconciling with the past and ask questions that have sparked debate since the inception of the book. While I readily acknowledge that the joy of surprise is essential to the reading experience, I cannot guarantee that there will not be spoilers from this point of the episode on. If you are so inclined, feel free to pause here, read the book, and cycle back later. With all of that being said, we are more than ready to welcome today's guest, David Pascone. <laughs> Mr. Pascone, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
1: I am fine. I uh, haven't been doing a lot of teaching, but I'm uh, thrilled to be here. looking forward to doing this with you.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. Thank you for making the time. Okay, so before we jump into Beloved, I wanted to talk a little bit about Toni Morrison herself. She is beloved by many, no pun intended, with accolades such as being the first black woman to win the Nobel Prize in Literature in the honor of the National Book Foundation's Medal of Distinguished Contribution to American Letters. Morrison is clearly a prestigious and very well-known writer, but still, when I read her work, it feels so personal as if I was the only one reading it. That's one of the reasons why I find myself turning to her work time and time again. What about Morrison's writing resonates with you?
1: Um, And thank you for the uh, prompt. Um, You know, I was thinking about it and I I came to Toni Morrison relatively late. I mean, she'd been writing for, I don't know, 12 or 15 years before I somehow plugged into her. I don't even know how that happened. I don't know. And the first book I read by her was Beloved. Good start. Um, And... I, I, yeah, I loved it uh, right away. Uh, what did I love about it? I, I felt, I felt, I feel with Morrison more than with any other author, how wise she is. I feel as if she understands human beings uh, at, at a depth that, I don't know, I'm not sure any other writer that I know does. Some people would argue Shakespeare would be right there with her. Um, Shakespeare, for me, doesn't feel quite as personal you know, if I was going to compare, say, Hamlet to Beloved, which one gets to me more personally, uh, you know, and I would say Beloved, you know, even though, you know, if you look at it kind of objectively you say, what does anything about that book have to do with my life?
0: Yeah.
1: And my, my response is always the same way. You know, they, they're human beings. You now, the human beings stays with the, all sorts of uh, issues and decisions, choices, uh, and watching people struggle with whatever they struggle with helps me to understand, uh, you know, my life a little better. I obviously I don't have any kinds of struggles that measure up to uh, Seth's. but so I really like that about her. I love the writing. Uh, you know, it can be so poetic at times. Uh, I love, especially with *Beloved*, her kind of—I don't know—like this has that objectivity about it that we talked about in class. How she. She holds her emotions, you know, but but allows the reader then to have his or her own emotions. Um, and I don't know; those are a few things I like about them. And um, I've read most of her books. I there are still a couple I haven't read that I have to get to. And um, didn't finish Jazz. I'm a little bit ashamed to say that. Uh, and I really need to re- reread Paradise. Um, that was, a, that was a hard one. And I think it was hard enough that I didn't appreciate it. I think that's another one I got to go back to and give that another shot.
0: So. Yeah. Going back to what you said pretty early in your response about how when you first read Morrison, you were impressed with her ability to like capture human emotions. And that is what drew me in. Because the first book I read was The Bluest Eye. And I think that's a pretty good, for any listeners, who happen to be teenagers. I think that's a pretty good introduction to Toni Morrison because it captures so well wanting something that you know you can't have. Um, For anyone unfamiliar, The Bluest Eye is about a Black girl who really wants blue eyes. And I think that that captures the teenage experience so well, is that everybody wants to look like what they can't look like or they want to have what they can't have. So that was a really good introduction for me. And it was kind of for the same reason, like she just captures those emotions and feelings really beautifully. And another thing that I think we talked about in class too, is that every page seems to have this revel- revelatory, like at least paragraph where you're like, whoa, you know, you're kind of taken aback by the wisdom on every page. So it's really interesting. I feel like you could read all of the books over and over and notice something different every time.
1: Yeah, was that there is that richness. I don't know how many times I've read Beloved, but I've like, got to be in double figures. It's got to be at least 10 times.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to begin our focused discussion on Beloved, I figured I would begin with what I believe to be the central question of the book. Setha endures great abuse and trauma while at Sweet Home, a plantation, and eventually escapes to Cincinnati with her four children. Eventually, school teacher, her former owner, finds her to force her to return to Sweet Home. And determined that her children not experience slavery. Setha murders one of them, beloved, and tries to murder the others. Mr. Pascoe, do you think that Setha was justified in her actions?
1: Um, and as you know from class, we always talk about that question. And I think it's, we can answer that individually, um, you know, how we feel about what Setha did, but. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure that Morrison, I think I'm not sure that Morrison is asking us that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and what I loved about your, you know, and I'm not sure if I should say this in the podcast, I love the fact you gave me questions to think about because, you know, it's like I've always said in class, questions lead to questions, lead to questions. You know, so you ask a question like, okay, is that is that really the question? Um, you know, baby Suggs couldn't answer the question. Mm-hmm. You know, she couldn't decide whether Setha was right or wrong to do it. So Baby Suggs goes to bed and looks at colors until she finally dies years later. Um, and I think through Baby Suggs, Tony Morrison is saying that, you know, who really has the right to answer that question? Perhaps other than Setha. Setha's convinced that she did the right thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I would fall in, you know, you know. I, I guess I would fall in with Paul D. in a kind of a weirdly practical sense, like, okay, Setha got away, you know, if if, her, if she and her kids go back into slavery, they can get away again. Mm. Uh, but I, I don't really think that that's the... I, I think it's really... Uh, I think Toni Morrison is saying, you know, that people need to imagine a world in which um, the answer to that question is not automatically apparent. I mean, think about how many how many situations can we imagine in which the question of whether a parent killing a child is justified or not mm-hmm. um, you know I don't think that's a really long list, um, and it may be a list of one thing or one thing like that. You know, if your if your child were in order to stay alive it was going to be in just a horrendous situation, slavery, holocaust, whatever that situation would be. Um you know, would a parent have a right to uh kill that child? Um I think you I don't really know that you have a right to judge that if you haven't been in it. Um yeah. And that's one of my favorite I think that's you know going back a while like Mars and the wisdom. The fact that you know that baby Suggs gave up. Because she could not figure out where the moral ground was I, you know, like, how many people actually understand that can can convey that in a a book like this? I think it's pretty amazing.
0: Um, I definitely see where you're coming from. I think at the bare minimum, I understand. I understand the motive. It's pretty clear. She was looking to protect her children from the trauma that she had to face. But maybe with This question, what Morrison is trying to say is like, since it's so complex, it's kind of telling readers that we'll never fully understand what other people are going through. Like there's always, there are always so many complications to a situation that you really can't be the judge of whatever anyone else is going through in their life unless you're living it. So there's always like deeper motivations to what someone does than what you see and what you think of as wrong might not actually be wrong. Yeah,
1: I'm going back even to what I said earlier. Was, you know, like, how do I connect with this book? Um, you know, that's that in many ways is completely unfamiliar to me. Um, I think, And I think Morrison is saying this is really unfamiliar to most people, this level of suffering and maybe even despair. Um, you know, and so the 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 other side of the coin might be, you know, Beloved comes back and has that mixed, has those mixed feelings about her mother, and seems kind of determined to destroy Setha, you know. And does she have the right to do that? Does she have the right to destroy the mother who killed her, who who took away her life? And and I don't think, very few readers, I think, are rooting for Beloved to, you know, to wipe out Setha. Everyone's pulling for Setha. Yeah, uh, you know, and why is that? Well, I, I think part of it is they. I think readers understand that, e- even though Seth always seems so proud and seems so iron like. To do what she did to kill her to kill her daughter and to and to and to take the responsibility for that loss is pretty. That's pretty courageous and pretty daunting. We don't we don't always use those words with her, but if we think about it long enough, you know, that tends to explain why we're not big fans of Beloved at the end.
0: Yeah, and that, going back on Beloved's cruelty, this scene where she chokes Setha, I thought was one of the most interesting and confusing parts of the book. Um, Beloved really, like, flip flops between Being attached to Setha and then seeming to want to destroy her, which I think makes it even harder to root for Beloved because you don't know which side of the coin you're going to get with her, Um, whereas the the other characters are a little bit more consistent. But I also think that like you just maybe the inability to understand Beloved keeps readers from being able to root for Beloved.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that.
0: Yeah, okay. One of the major themes of the novel is that one cannot ignore the past in order to move on with their life. This is reflected particularly with the character Paul D, who keeps his traumatic memories of slavery packed away in a metaphorical tobacco tin. His endeavors to do so are unsuccessful as throughout his encounters with Beloved, quote, he didn't hear the whisper that the flakes of rust made as they fell away from the seams of the tobacco tin so, when the lid gave, he didn't know it. end quote, Mr. Pascone, why do you think it is impossible to push the past away? And how is this impossibility reflected in the book? Uh, good
1: question. And I think, again, this is this is Morrison's genius kind of um, I mean, you know anyone in that situation would want to, you know, I get Paul D. I'm gonna put it all in tobacco tin. you know, my whole life has been horrendous. Um, you know, the parts of the world that we see, you know, the bit in his mouth and the thing around his neck and Alfred George are just, you know, Hallie and the butter and like, oh my God, you know, it's, why would you want to remember any of that, right? Uh, Seth, the same thing. Um, but then who are we if we don't have any past? you know, are we, are we anybody, you know, when you go to Notre Dame in September and you don't bring any of your past, like you don't bring any of your academy experiences, any of your family experiences, you are just like some weirdly clean slate, you know, who, who are you? You're not, you're really not anybody. You know, where do we get our values from? Where, do you know, where do we get our beliefs from? They come from somewhere, you know, and they're all, you know, all the experiences that we accumulate, you know, we think back to our past and we think about good things that we have done, you know, things that we thought, oh, this is what I should do. And then we do it and then it works out. And you say, okay, you know, so there's validation, there's a validation of that value of that, of that emotion. And sometimes we look back on our lives and kind of was a jerk to that person. I still do that. I, I still remember being a jerk to people like 55, 60 years ago. I'm like, You know, like I'm embarrassed by it still. Like, I can't believe I did that. Um, But that's, you know, if you don't remember that, then how do you avoid doing it again? How do you become a better person? Um, So, um, and one of the things I started thinking about, again, with this question was, I wonder about Denver. Like, how much of a past, what do we know about Denver? We know about, Denver's birth, right? We know about the whole Amy Denver story. Mm -hmm. I always think it's interesting that Denver was named after a white girl. And, And we know about that story. And then we know about her very brief schooling and Nelson Lord asking that, you know, that question that makes Denver go deaf for two years. Interesting piece of writing. Um and so she loses that, right? And that's then that's gone. And then and then what else do we know about her? Nothing until the end of the story when she leaves the porch. You know, we know from when beloved shows up. And so her whole most of her life is a blank. You know, it's blank in terms of what we know. And I think, you know, she's just been in her house, her haunted house. She doesn't have any friends, she doesn't go anywhere, she doesn't do anything. So um in a way, I'm surprised at her self-assurance at the end because, in some ways, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how she how she got there. We don't actually see her that way when Beloved is there. She's kind of childish at times. Yeah, um, she's a little immature at times, and then. Um, so anyway, going back uh, maybe a little more directly to your question about the about the past. Uh, you know, when Paul D says to Seth at the end, you know, we can put our two lives together. I think he's talking about their whole lives. I don't think he's talking about their lives starting now. I think he's talking about all the stuff that they have in common, experiences that they've shared. Uh, and if they don't have that, they won't have, they they won't have a relationship. Um, so, so Seth is kind of stuck, right? Yeah, she can beat back the past, but she'll live in that house alone with her daughter. And she'll live day by day, and she'll never plan for the future. And she it'll be a pretty empty a pretty empty life, which I think is what she has until Paul D shows up.
0: yeah, and I was going to talk about that end scene as well with Paul D and Setha. And I kind of think that that's one of the more hopeful parts of the book um, when towards the very, very end, Paul D says to Setha is, like he says something like we have more yesterday than ever than anybody we need some kind of tomorrow and that's a really hopeful thing to say you know you're looking to the future but i think that he's only allowed to say that because of everything that transpired in the book before that like now that they've reconciled with their past they are able to move on so i think yeah and i think it is it is impossible to push back the past because all throughout the book, it inevitably comes up, you know, you see things that remind, they see things that remind them of their past or obviously beloved is a pretty big reminder of the past. So it's kind of inevitable that they had to deal with it. And since they did, they're able to move on.
1: Yeah, and if you're beating back the past, is it possible to beat it back and like ignore it at the same time? No. I mean, aren't you always acknowledging it by suppressing it? Yeah. Think about it, you know, Paul D. shows up, you know, what happens? Memories. You know, Setha right away, sweet home. Here come Here come memories of sweet home. Paul D. talking to her. But I'm not going to tell her about the churn memory. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell her about Alfred Georgia. That would horrify her memory, you know, and, you know, it, it's impossible to... I think it's an impossible task to keep it at bay, and maybe not. You know, it's that weird psychological thing. You know, which is which is more healthy: remembering a horrible past, and you know, and 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 coming to terms with it, which which is a term that I don't really have said. I think in class, I don't really quite understand what that means all the time. To come to terms with, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that's what Paul D and has done at the end of the book and is trying to get Setha to do, you know, if we skip ahead to that other question about where Setha says me, me. Yeah. Because we're, we're we're right there at this point. You know, I think the way she says that is like, and again, I, you know, thank you, Brad, for you know, for this chance, because there's nothing like talking about a book to, to understand the book better or to, I don't know, better, but yeah, have you know more thoughts about it. Um, because it seemed to me now that when she says me, me, is like, like, she's surprised by that. Yeah. Like, like, oh, me, you mean like me as a person, me? Um, it's not like, you know, it's not her response to the question is, you know, when she says you're your best self, you know, when she says me, I think it's like almost like the first time she's acknowledging that she's a person who has the right or may have She's at least asking a question: Do I have the right to have a life?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And so I agree with you completely. I mean, I do, I I do find the ending uh, hopeful. I'm I'm convinced. You know, I'm, maybe I'll write a sequel for <laughs> me and Seth Up, you know, like <laughs> move yeah. to New York City and whatever.
0: <laughs> I think.
1: Um, I yeah. So.
0: Um yeah i so continuing on talking about this um and where paul d says that that's to setha you are your best thing you are and she says me me um i think there is a lot of self self-doubt in that um but she's justified in that self-doubt you know her time in sweet home uh she didn't have her own identity and she was owned by someone else so It was kind of hard for her to be her own person and then shortly after escaping that she commits a crime that occupies i think her mind for like the rest the rest of time pretty much until beloved comes back and eventually goes away but even after she's still thinking about it so um i think when she was first she didn't have an identity at all and then when she had a chance to she was um like frozen in time from guilt so i think when paul d says that it is the first time she ever even has a chance to think about it because beloved isn't there anymore so maybe now she's finally free to be her own person but even
1: before beloved came back bodily yeah was always there as a ghost right yeah so you know the whole beating back the past thing is (laughs) Gonna show up one way or another.
0: Yeah. yeah, paranormally or not. But going back to the sequel idea, if you were to entertain <laughs> that for a set, sure it
1: qualifies as an idea.
0: But... <laughs> um, how like how do you think, Setha will find herself in the future? Do you think that, she would kind of be paralyzed by this forever, or will she begin to move on after that, conversation with Paul D.
1: Uh, somehow I think Denver may be the key to that. Um, because another thing I was thinking about was, you know, okay, what is Seth's identity or her identity that that we see is primarily as a mother. And this may end up kind of blending into the, you know, question about women and feminism and, you know, but I think she's, her killing her daughter is, you know, she would characterize that as a maternal act. Um, and so here is Denver, who's grown, who, who has suddenly blossomed into mature, self-assured, uh, young woman who um probably you know is. Even with Paul D there, may may have to help Setha to kind of get back on her feet some more. And then, you know, once that happens, if Setha gets that place and she and Paul D have a relationship, you know, she can look at Denver as kind of her only success story. I mean, Howard and Bugler, uh, you know, she keeps hoping they're going to come back, but I don't see that happening. It's been a long time, and there's no reason to think that that would happen. Um, and you know, beloved is gone, and I think Setha has really mixed feelings about about that. I, you know, she feels bad about that, and because you know she got a second shot at it, and strike two. Uh, you know, so she may find some new part of herself in the relationship with Paul D you know, maybe she can, you know, that there'll be other parts of herself that will, that are there, I think, maybe, you know, that maybe she had at one point with Hallie, uh, and that she's kind of not had for 18 years or so. And so maybe that will happen and give her life some shape and meaning. I think a lot of that meaning is gonna, gonna have to come with her relationship with Denver, I think, I don't know
0: Yeah, um, and Denver's situation is part of what makes the ending so hopeful to me is because you see Denver miraculously maturing and finding her own way, and Setha with the Mimi, it's not like convincingly hopeful, but you can choose to read it that way, and I guess- when I wrote this question, I didn't really know what I thought. I think that Setha definitely has a chance to find herself in the future, but I don't know what that will mean. Um, And I think you have a very good point is that her, like after her time at Sweet Home and, well, she had kids at Sweet Home too, but a lot of her identity was in being a mother. So now that um, those responsibilities won't be as overbearing, I'm not sure what she would turn to. Besides this partnership with Paul D., but I guess that that would be what the sequel would cover.
1: (laughs) I I don't think there's any question that she needs, I don't think she can make a life for herself without Paul D. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Denver, you know, could be a tremendous support, but I really actually think she needs to be with someone who understands what she's been through. Mm -hmm. And therefore, and, you know, and can choose to talk about the past or not, but at least to know, you know, that you're with someone who understands what you have, at least to some extent, what you have been through. Um, and, you know, then understands kind of where you're coming from and why you behave the way you do and why you see the world the way you do. You know, again, going back to that question about the past, like, You know, if you're in a relationship with someone and and you withhold everything from that person, you know, eventually that person is going to become so frustrated, will actually feel as if if he or she's not trusted. uh, Which, you know, that relationship is kind of doomed, I would say. Yeah.
0: All right. So much like this conversation, the storyline of Beloved is not linear there are unannounced flashbacks stream of consciousness chapters and dream images laced throughout the novel what are the effects of the story of beloved being told this way and what would be lost if the plot were shared linearly
1: so one of the things i don't think i said for the first question that i meant to so i can say it now as one of the things i really like about morrison is is the faith that she has in me as a reader I mean, think about it. I mean, like, you know, I mean, I've had so many people say to me, so many people, it's probably about four, who say they started beloved and, and it was too hard, they couldn't get into it. You know, and and I want to say you, you have to be more patient and you have to be more attentive. Um and you gotta be you have to be willing to read slowly. Um and and part of the reason for part of that is, you know, your question, you know, it's those instantaneous flashbacks—those, you know—I I, I thought I was here in time, but now I'm here in time. And, um, you know, why is Morrison doing that? Morrison—I think that's a fairly obvious question. Morrison is trying to show us how the past will rear its ugly head whenever it wants to, and we won't have anything to say about it. Um, you know, we just gotta—okay, there it is again. Now, am I gonna? Now, what am I gonna do with that? I like it. I know I described in class that kind of spiraling effect that we we hear a little bit about something. You know, we don't know at the beginning. I'm always careful not to say to the class, you know, this is a story about a woman who kills her child. Yeah. You know, but very early in the story, we see we see Setha holding Beloved and, her, and blood pulsing out of her throat. Okay, we don't know how that happened. Um, you know, and details build details build and eventually we come to that scene where a school teacher shows up and Seth gathers up her kids and you know starts waving the saw yeah um yeah. and so we kind of know it's coming so there's a little bit of you know suspense but I think that that almost cheapens the book in a way I think that I think the layering of you know Shows us the way the the past keeps keeps kind of uh, working on people you know and won't go away and it keeps keeps breaking through and more and more mm-hmm. and more and more detail so um, you know and if you're patient and you read closely and pay attention everything pays off you know you you don't get to a point where you say uh, I don't know how we got here I'm not buying this. Um, you know, no matter how weird it is, you know, there's beloved comes back from the dead sitting on a stump. Okay, uh, okay, do I believe that? Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of, you know, I'm not big on the supernatural in stories. Well, I'm reading a review of the book and I see the word supernatural, I'm usually running in the other direction. Um, but um I you know certainly works works here for me and um I do. I I, I I like that effect, and again, it's it's. Um, I'm trying to think of a book that I read recently that just that happened pretty much the same. Not now with the now with the level of expertise that Morrison does, and I shouldn't have brought it up because I'm not going to remember the name of it. But um, I may before we were finished talking. Um, but the same kind of thing, you know, with layers and then more, more, and It would have been an easy book to say after 50 pages, I'm not reading, nothing's happening. And then you realize, oh, oh, there's more and there's more. So I think that's cool.
0: And particularly about the stream of consciousness chapters, for any readers listening that haven't read the book, first of all, you should. Second, it's like this series, I'm not exactly sure how long it is, but it gets increasingly unintelligible as the chapters go on. And it's very difficult to understand, and they're shared from the perspective of Denver, Setha, and Beloved. And Mr. Pascoe, and I know that you've said in past years of AP English you've skipped those chapters. What goes into that decision, and why did you choose whether whether or not to have those chapters? Yeah, well, I
1: don't think I've ever. I mean, I I think every year I think about skipping them.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, somehow that feels sinful. <laughs> like like. Like if Tony Morrison heard me say that, I'd be in trouble.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I, I've, you know, and then part of the, re, you know, part of the reason I think about skipping them is that, especially once you get to the third, the third section by beloved, you know, when you're trying to figure out kind of, okay, so that means that, that relates to that, you know, I'm looking for one-on-one correspondences and I can't always explain exactly what that stands for. I can't, oh, you know, when she's looking up at, I think, at Sether from her grave, looking up through the grass, or she's looking up through the water, that's what I think is going on. I'm not sure it's what's going on.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: sure. so I'm on, sometimes I feel as if I'm on somewhat shaky ground, and my my ability to explain it as well as I would like to is limited, so... So, you you know, from the teacher point of view, I feel a little bad about that, but but I kind of resigned myself to, okay, to saying to the class, okay, so this is supposed to represent a slave ship crossing, and, and here's how that connects, and here's what I think Morrison is doing, and I can do that in a specific enough way to make it make sense without being able to say, and, you know, like when she says, and I am the laugh and she is the laughter. And another point says, I am the laugh and she is the laugher, not laughter. I'm like, okay, I'm not really confused now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I did value the stream of consciousness chapters because um, obviously I didn't understand it all. I'm not going to lie. But um, the things I did understand, I found it really helpful to understand what was going on in their minds. Um, like the part with Denver talking about don't fall asleep when she's braiding your hair. Um, it never occurred to me until then, the fear that Denver might have of Setha, which was very interesting to me. And that kind of helped me understand her more. Um, and also Beloved because she's a very, her character is really hard to understand. And her chapter in particular for the stream of consciousness section was hard to understand because I know Morrison was going for like the immature mind she had when um, she was murdered. But I find it helpful to get inside their minds besides just dialogue and plot. So it's, it was kind of interesting. Well, very interesting.
1: I wonder how many of your classmates would say the same thing.
0: I don't think many. <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying that they didn't like love it and I was upset. But I think it's a great book. I recommend it to most people. You just have to, I'd say, I think my advice to readers would just be keep reading, even if you're confused, because maybe it will make sense at the end. And then if not, you can cycle back and read deeper, read it many times.
1: And normally I would say, you know, you're, you're, you know, read the bluest eye. I think that's actually a very good book to start with. Yeah. Read the yeah. bluest eye, read Sula, you know, read a few before you read Beloved. And ordinarily that would be a big help. You know, <laughs> for, with most authors, you have a sense of the way things work and themes and all that. And weirdly enough, I'm not sure if it makes it much of a difference with Morrison. You mm. would be used to her language maybe uh, a little bit, but. I think Beloved is so much more, I think the language is more dense, I think the themes are more dense, I think, you know, I think it's, I think it's a rich, you know, in in the most positive way possible, I think it's a very rich book that, that, you know, that should, you know, didn't really match, and, um, but it's, yeah, it's not a beach, it's not a beach read.
0: <laughs> no, not quite um and we we kind of touched on this a little bit before but i think it's important to cycle back so one prevalent aspect of the book that we didn't talk about as much in class is that of feminism um throughout the novel the female characters of the book make empowering decisions that reflect a certain unprecedented autonomy baby Suggs, setha's mother-in-law becomes a preacher to the town setha takes her and her children's future into her hands and at the end of the novel, Denver becomes a provider of the family when Setha is debilitated by her relationship with Beloved. How are these intergenerational feminist paths central to the plot? And how does the female narrative alter the meaning of the story?
1: So when I first read the question, my first response was to feel a little bit guilty. <laughs> like, oh, OK, I kind of maybe didn't focus on kind of the uh feminist qualities of the book which are which are obviously there uh, and so again okay let me think about it in this way and again I, i'll go back to what i said earlier i think this is largely a mother's story um and so I, you know and so think about a scene that early scene where Setha is talking about being uh, held down in the barn by school teachers, nephews, uh, and having her milk taken from from her. and Paul D keeps saying, they beat you, they whipped you. You know, that's his focus, right? on her being beaten. And she keeps saying, they took my milk. They beat you, and they took my milk. You know, and that's kind of like like right from the beginning of the book, there is Morrison saying this is, uh, I'm telling a story primarily from the point of view of women, from the point of view of women who have had these experiences, from the point of view of Baby sucks from the point of view of Ella, from the point of view eventually of Denver, mm-hmm. from the point of view of the you know, and then you know, and then you think about some obvious things like how does how does the community expel beloved? Thirty women come together and sing and pray, yeah. and. Yeah the strength of those women together expels beloved and frees Settler, right? Stampede, whom I love and who Morrison loves. That's the thing I love about Morrison, I think she loves her characters. I mean, she makes you, you know, like, I love Stampede. You know, I think he's such a cool, interesting character. You don't see a lot of Ella, you know, but, She's been through hell, she's had a horrible, horrible life, and she seems inclined to want to take it out on Setha. Doesn't like Setha's pride. But when the chips are down, you know, and beloved comes back. Well, we can't have ghosts coming back as people as in bodies, so we've got to get rid of them. Right. So the strength of the book, and the baby Suggs at the clearing, she comes, you know, all of a sudden she's she's the baby sugs holy. Right? So so most of the strength in the book definitely comes from women. Paul D. tries, you know, and at the end I think he'll kind of get there, but you know he needed to, he needed to learn. You, know, you actually have to have feelings, mm-hmm. right? You can't you can't stuff your feelings in a tobacco tent. You can't you know. And so maybe you know, to a certain extent, he's learning that from from women. And um, so I don't know if you know if if Toni Morrison would call it a feminist book, but I'm, I'm, but it's clear that the that the core of the book is the strength of the book is coming from the the women in the community.
0: Yeah, I th- so reading my thing, I said how are these intergenerational feminist paths central to the plot? And I think that without those feminist paths, there would be no plot. You know, the the conflicts the characters face and the emotions described are something that only a mother, only a daughter, in my opinion, can feel. And I think that that's what really completes the book, is that it's it's, it's a family story as well as all of these other things. And that's one of the most beautiful things about the book is that you can look at it through all of these different lenses. Like when we first read it in class, I mainly was looking at the thing about beating back the past and that was my focus. And then as I was writing these questions and re-evaluing, reevaluating the plot, I was thinking more through the feminist lens and you can look at it through all these different angles and find evidence for each way that you look at it which I think is what keeps it so fresh every time you think about it.
1: If you think about Seth killing her daughter, you know, that's a, you know, so there's this incredibly strong woman standing up against the institution of slavery, standing up against the Fugitive Slave Act, you know, like I am not going to let you take my daughter from me um, or my kids from me. I'll do whatever it takes. Um, I mean no matter how you judge that morally, that's a pretty strong statement yeah. against an institution which is you know obviously created you know mostly by men mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Okay, so going back to the end now. At the end of the novel, there is a shift in narration that is sympathetic to Beloved, which, as you said, most people don't read the book in that way. Um, But this narrator shares that everyone in the town collectively forgot about her or forced her out of their memories. The narrator declares that it was not a story to pass on. Do you agree with that statement? And why would it not be a story to pass on?
1: Um, Yeah, I think we'll have to think about who's passing it on and, and to whom? Um, so, and, and you know, and asking, those, and those questions then are gonna bump up against the, what we've been talking about, you know, like if you beat back the past, you know, who are you and how are you gonna have relationships and all of that? Would consciously refusing to pass along the story of beloved, to someone else be the same thing as Beating Back the Past, right? um, and I, you know, and oddly enough, I'm going to say no. Um, I, um, so I, so the question I asked myself was, who would benefit from hearing that story? It's a very specific story. Um, it's. In the sense that, like, if you, if you told me that story and said, "Okay, I'm telling you this story," so that when you're in that situation, like, I don't think I'm going to be in that situation. I'm pretty sure that that's never going to happen to me. So, so what is the point of passing that story on to me now? This is where it gets really tricky, um, because obviously the story is being passed on to me as a reader. But I'm not looking at I'm not looking at the question that way. I'm not looking so. When I say who's it being passed on to, I see that as still being in the book, like passing it, like Denver passing the story on to her daughter, or or someone in the town passing it on to someone who's just moved into town. Or you know, at what point do we? Um, you know, at what point do we say, okay, we we survived that, we 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 got through that, and um, and now I'm gonna you know move ahead and and live my life. Again, given the specificity of it, I mean, Paul D is never gonna forget Beloved, and Seth is never gonna forget Beloved. Uh, so if they're together, you know, they still have the, the memories, and they have the memory of getting through it together. Um, you know, but should Paul D and Sethe or Denver pass that on to anybody else? Um, I don't know that they need to. And then, and then looking at it differently, I think that Morrison intentionally said, you know, let's give, let's give a love her too. you know, she was, you know, she was obviously a victim. She was in a way, a victim of her mother, at least a victim of slavery a victim of a system that would lead her mother to kill her. And so, you know, so now that I've gotten to you to the point where you hate her, I'm gonna devote two pages to saying, let's shift, a, let's look at this differently. Like her coming back and, you know, craving Seth's attention, but maybe also craving her life. You know, you have to, you have to kind of grant her that, um, you know, and she, she's not, completely evil we can't think of her as just this evil being like oh thank god she's gone i, mean, I think every reader gets to that point oh so, thank god she's gone you know but okay yeah it's, it's good that she's gone but let's not let's again be fair to her
0: mm-hmm. i definitely think? i definitely <laughs> see what you're saying about whether that you don't think it necessarily needs to be passed on but i respectfully disagree I feel like that would be too cyclical. Um, You know, as readers, we just went through, I don't know, like 300 pages of beating back the past and seeing the consequences from that. So for the characters to endure that and then still decide to kind of do the same thing and not address what happened, it's kind of tiring. It's like, we're gonna do this again and i think that being able to talk about the past is indicative of really having an emotional handle on it you know if you can talk about something and say like yeah this happened and we've moved on and that's what we learned from it i think that's like that's emotional growth and that i would have hoped for the characters to have that from the beginning of the novel to now um so, I don't really so what know. would it look
1: what would it look like for Cetha to come to think about it and to come to terms with her experience with Beloved?
0: Coming, bringing back,
1: coming to terms. <laughs> uh, yeah, good, good question. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. So she's sitting in, uh, you know, a psychologist's office. She's talking to a counselor. Uh, I'm serious. Like, yeah. what does she
0: say?
1: What does she say about it? What? How does you know?
0: Yeah.
1: What's the? What is the you know, you know, here's, you know, so doctor, here's the story, you know, school teacher came to save my, to try to save my children from slavery. I tried to kill them. I wanted to kill all four of them. I went one for four. Um, and, um, and then she came back, you know, so she haunted our house for a while and then she came back and I didn't know who it was for a long time, but I had this, I felt this need to take care of her, to nurture her. Uh, to be a mother to her, and then, um, and then it turns out it was my daughter, and I thought she would understand, but she didn't really understand, and she, she made it almost impossible for me to live, I mean, I almost, I almost died, uh, trying to get her to accept what I had done, that she never did, she never accepted what I, she never accepted what I did, she never, she, you know, and Seth is great lines, she didn't want to be forgiven, she wanted her, she wanted she wanted there to be no need for forgiveness. She wanted beloved to say, "You don't have to ask for forgiveness. You don't need forgiveness." And she she never got that.
0: Yeah. So
1: so now what do we now what does she? So what does she do with that?
0: Well, I think that just because we don't get what we really want from other people doesn't mean that you can or should ignore it. And I think, you know, if we're going back to the setha and the therapist's i don't know situation talking i in my experience talking through emotions and events in your life is very helpful because getting other well not other people's opinions because that would be weird but um i think there's a lot of power in setha just acknowledging that it happened and her not getting the response that she wanted um, is a lesson in itself. And that sometimes you don't always get what you want from other people, but you still have to move on and you still have to keep going. And I think that if she were to just move on or try to forget, try to forget, or like ignore and not tell anybody what happened with Beloved, um, she wouldn't get that closure because there would always just be a piece of her Deep down, saying like, you know, I never really got the response that I wanted from Beloved, and I can't talk to anybody about it because I'm not allowing myself that yeah. therapeutic experience.
1: Um, I wonder how many people would, again, my fictional psychiatrist, psychologist person, hearing what would if they heard the story, what, what would they hear? What would they really understand? What would they take away from that? Um, you know, and Seth said, I, you know, basically Seth wanted Beloved to understand that Seth's killing Beloved was, was an act of love and was justified in that way. Um, and so you'd have to have a really, really good counselor who could keep his own or her own values, morals, put them aside and not judge setha for killing her daughter mm-hmm. and, th- and then take it from and take it from there and say okay so this is what you wanted and, and, and beloved didn't give you that so yeah. you know how are you feeling about it now you know that would be it would be interesting to hear setha once she got her strength back if she was in a relationship with baldy you know someone said okay so now that the justice is settled and things seem pretty good, how are you feeling about that period of time with Beloved? Wondered, I, don't, I don't know what you would. Uh, hopefully you would have a healthy response to that question.
0: Yeah. And with the, passing, with the passing on of stories, I think that there's a happy medium between completely forcing it out of memory, which is what the town is trying to do, and fixating on it. And I think that that medium would be the ideal situation. So, if I could choose any, that's what I would choose for Setha and the people, um, because, like you said, we can't ignore the past. Like there will always be constant reminders. So, I think to be able to acknowledge it is the whole point of the book. So I
1: don't, know. Yep. I don't okay. disagree with you. to give be some other way for her to do it. Like if she you know, founded uh, uh, different forms of expression, mm-hmm. like dance, for instance, or music, or art, or, you know, or like, if there's some other way to, you know, like, combat veterans who find healing and mindfulness and, and yoga and things like that. And yeah. She might need some very um, alternative kinds of help. Uh, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't want to get too new agey here, though, so.
0: (laughs) Never know. Well, Mr. and I know that you have taught this book in class for many years. How is your perception of Beloved as a work, not the character, changed over time? And why do you think that it should be discussed in a classroom setting?
1: All right, so here's how stupid I was at one point. The first time I ever taught this book, so I read the book, right? I loved it. I like, oh, wow. Like every page, as you were saying, you turn the page, like, wow. Turn the page, wow. I got to teach this book. Okay. Unfortunately, I was teaching 10th grade boys. I said, well, <laughs> here you go, boys. <laughs> Here's beloved. It Wasn't an honors class or anything. It was a regular 10th grade. <laughs> now, I was in administration. I just had one class, and they were good. They were, they were, it was a pretty bright group. You know, somewhat mixed, but you know, if there were such a thing as an honest tenth-grade English class, a lot of those guys would have been in it. You know, so I said, "Okay, here's *Beloved*." Probably completely indefensible pedagogically. Probably not here, you know, nothing to hang on to. But I love the book, so we so we read it. So. um I'm, you know, and I, and I want to be, you know, I wonder, and I don't, you know, that was a long time ago. That was in the mid-90s. Um, So, so I just can't remember what the conversations were like, and conversations may be the wrong word. <laughs> <laughs> may have been a series of lectures. Uh, um you know, but for, you know, for an AP class, like our A-block class, um, you know, at which, you know, and I, th- I mean, I think there's, you know, it's, it's such a great work of literature. I mean, just in terms of a reading experience, it's, it's so amazing. And I certainly think that strong high school students can appreciate that. I mean, as you said, someone said to you, I they didn't like it. I, and I would guess that if I, Cold, and I didn't do it this year, I usually do actually, but I've done it in the past and you know, is Beloved is not one of the favorite books. It's a workout, you know, it's a workout in every way. Um, and it's a workout, it's a workout emotionally. Uh, and, I, and I think the people who like it the least are the ones who don't actually understand that it's a workout emotionally. I think they, you know, I don't, I think they don't understand that the reason they're not liking it is that they can't plug into it emotionally. You know, that scene we look at always in the first day, you know, the, you know, where she's getting the gravestone engraved, that horrible, horrible scene, having sex with the engraver, that Morrison, you know, it's like a just deadpan, just a straight face, you know, here's what's going on, you know, like, if you are not prepare to put yourself in Seth's place first of all to understand what's going on and then to, and then to put yourself in her place and to one be horrified by the act and then to be doubly horrified by her regretting that she didn't give him another 10 minutes she could have gotten daily beloved and not just beloved what you know so the, so the book demands that of people but I think um you know, if we're going to be like full human beings, we, you know, going to be full human beings emotionally. Uh, and to be honest, I don't. I don't say that as if I'm a full person emotionally. Either. I think I've got a ways to go yet. But reading books like, I mean, I think that's why we read stuff like that. I think it. Um, it's a challenge to put yourself in the shoes of people or in a situation that is not even remotely like yours um but there so we can't relate to the act but I think we can relate to um I think you know if we think about her in terms of being a mother um you know that that's a that that's a way in um and so I think it's uh I think it's important to read books that you know, I mean, we want to read, you know, we're going to you know read all books about high school, uh, high school students, you know, making their way. I mean, you know, reading some of that's good, but, um, you know, there's, there's more stuff going on. And, um, so I definitely, you know, I couldn't have taught, you know, I mean, so I've been able to teach this book, obviously, for, for a number of years. But when I was on Long Island in the 70s and 80s, I couldn't have taught the book, I would have been fired. You know, just just the language of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't have a book where someone's saying something about having sex with cows and think you're going to get away with it. Yeah. Uh, You know, and just uh, and just the subject matter. You know, of you know, it's almost too intense. You know, luckily, at least in terms of our school, you know, I'm in a place where where you know we can read this book together and talk about it. And uh, you know, that's why I love teaching here. You know, and the students, even the ones who say I wasn't crazy about it, I think they, I do think they make an effort to engage and engage in class. And um, you know, hard to find a job better than that. Imagine having a job where you teach beloved. I mean, holy mackerel, (laughs) teach Wall Street. (laughs) Any day. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, thank you so much, Mr. Pascone, for joining me today. It was. Such a pleasure to get to talk to you about this book one more time. And thank you listeners for tuning in. I'll catch you guys on Thursday for the next episode.